Y'all thought somebody's phone was going off. What kind of heathen church is this? Y'all allow cell phones. Are you kidding me? Hey, um, welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben, um, pastor here, or one of the pastors here. And uh, we're excited that you're here. We're starting a brand new series. In fact, if this is your first Sunday, it's a great Sunday to be here because we are starting a brand new series called Modern Idols. And I want to preface this whole idea of idols uh, in that when I was growing up uh, and became a Christian, I became a Christian around the age of uh, 15 or 16 years old, and people in the church space would from time to time talk about idols. And I would sit there and think, is that really a problem? Uh, my version of what I thought of as an idol, uh, I had two different versions. And if you're a therapist, you can kind of like unpack this and probably take out some implications of me. But uh, one was I had this thought of like a gold Buddha, you know, it's like a you know, little dude belly, you know, and people would maybe like bow down to him. And the other one, and I don't know why, <clears throat> except for when I was little, um, they had uh, the, in, here in Tallahassee, I grew up here, uh, they had the Indian mounds. And so I, you know, Seminoles, shout out, you know, so I thought that, that another version of an idol where it was either Buddha or a totem pole. Okay. And I don't know why totem poles, but, but for some reason that totem pole just got me. Uh, but is the video starting again? Just, um, but the reality is, the reality is, this is people would talk about this idea of idols. It was different because no one in, in, in my life, at least, or in my world, ever used that in their lexicon. No one talked about idols. Idols were uh, in the Bible. Um, idols were statues. Idols were things that, that people in religious deference would bow down to and worship. But as people would come up on stage and they'd say, you know, we all have idols. We all have idols. I'd think, no, I don't. You know, I don't, I don't have one at all. And, and here's essentially what they would mean. And here's what we mean as we begin to talk about idols. Idols are anything that we place above God. Idols are anything that we place above God. Now, if, if you've been in the church space for a while, then you know that. But the difference is, is for us, we don't use the term idol in the current age. What we use is a different word that essentially represents the same thing. And that word for us is priorities. Now, if you think about it, we don't have idols. We have priorities. And I have priorities and you have priorities. And for many of us, if we were to list our priorities, they'd go something like this. God, family, work, Florida State. Okay. And if your idols, anything are not idol, well, it could be an idol, but if your priority is anything different than that, then there are so many other good churches. Okay. Well, maybe it's like, you know, God, family, Florida State, register sausage. Okay. So just, you know, get saved. <laughs> and if you don't, if it's your first time there, that joke makes no sense, but just keep coming. Okay. It'll make sense eventually. Now, <clears throat> Now, here, here's the understanding behind that. Again, it, it's a prioritization. Why priorities matter or why the thought of priorities matter is because of this, that if any of us, again, were to write down these are the list of priorities, these are the things from my life that I would say number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. If we were to list our priorities, um, there's a good chance that those would be different than if we had an objective third party look into our life and say, what do they prioritize? In other words... There is oftentimes a cognitive dissonance between what we believe our priorities ought to be and what our priorities actually are. Now this again, this is not just in the religious space. This is in virtually every space. If you're, you know, in here and you're kind of, you know, thinking about Jesus, thinking about God, wrestling with this idea of Christianity, I mean, we, we've seen this in virtually every sphere of life that Perhaps the, the thought is, you know, is family is first. Family is the most important thing. We would say family, you know, work, career, and then, you know, some other things beyond that. But, it, but isn't this true? 
We have seen people time and time and time again sacrifice their family to the idol of work. We have seen time and time again people sacrifice their family to the idol or on the altar of work. Here's what I know. My life can get busy just like yours. Run a company, which is the registered sausage part, and run a church, which is the here part. And and, and here's what I know. Conceptually, my family is the most important, but in terms of the prioritization of what gets the most attention, oftentimes my family isn't the thing that seems like it screams for my attention the most. But, But here's what I do know, is that the church can always find another pastor, but my kids will never find another father. But it's easy to have a cognitive dissonance between what we say our priorities are and what we actually live. And if you had a third party or if you had, you know, a husband or a wife or a best friend and they they had no clue what you would write down, the question is simply this, what would they say? What would they say? What would they say is the priority of your life? Now, the central priority, how we describe that in the religious sphere is worship. That thing that takes up the central peace and place. And you do not have to be a Christian. You don't have to be religious. All we mean by the thing that you worship, the idol that you worship, is what takes that center thing that everything else in your life revolves around. And and, and here's again what happens. Oftentimes, unintentionally, we can exchange what we would deem as the ultimate for what in reality is a second or a third or a fourth tier priority. And so in this series, what we're going to do is today we're going to just kind of, this is kind of an introduction to idols. In the next three weeks after this, we're going to talk about some specific categories of idolatry. Because again, no one walked in here this morning and thought, man, I am just so convicted of my idolatry. We all walked in thinking, I am busy. And here's all I'm posing. Perhaps, unintentionally, those can become the same thing. Now, the good thing is, we're not the first people to deal with this. Uh, if you've ever you know, studied the scriptures, then, then you've probably heard of the book of Romans. Romans is a book written by a guy named Paul. Paul, in opposition to the church, hated the church, um, was persecuting the church, interestingly became a Christian, became the greatest, most influential kind of really Christian in the early church, sans Jesus, planted churches all around the Mediterranean rim. Um, and Paul wrote a letter to this, this church in Rome. And Rome was the epicenter of what, you know, was Rome, crazy enough, right? And so the Roman Empire centered in this place called Rome. And as Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, the reason that he spends the first three chapters convincing them that they are sinners is because of the fact that in their day, they believed if you were kind of hooked up materially, if you were hooked up politically, in other words, if you had stuff and if you had power, you had God's favor. And so Paul would write, and as he begins his introduction, introduces himself, and immediately after that launches into this idea and this thought process that we have are all sinners, which really pinnacles in chapter 3 when he says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in Paul's convincing of both the Jews and the Gentiles, this is what he launches into as the primary first thing when it comes to idols. So if you got your Bible, Romans chapter one, verse 18, this is what he says. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
of, of Ben, that's true, um, of men, <laughs> conviction, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now, the reason he starts to launch into this is because there was a contingent of people that would say, that would say you know, well, maybe they just didn't know. Maybe they just weren't educated enough. Maybe for the Jews, the Gentiles just didn't know. Maybe for the Gentiles, the Jews just didn't know. And, and this is not for the person who has no belief in God. This is for the person who has a general assumption that there is a God. He says, okay, so if you take that as the premise behind this thought process, which if you are, by the way, still wrestling with the idea of God, I think that is probably the best thing that you can ever wrestle with. And what I would say to you is just Continue, continue, continue to wrestle with that, okay? So, he says, so for everyone who is okay with that premise, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, how? Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made so that they are without Excuse. Well, excuse for what? He's about to tell you. He's about to say, and, and, and here's what they are without excuse for. That we have exchanged the ultimate God for what the ultimate God has created. We have exchanged the ultimate God for what the ultimate God has created. In fact, this is how he phrases it. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools in exchange, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. <laughs> I just think that's funny that he says, and creeping things. Like, okay, bugs, we get it. But, but, but here's his point. He would say, if you believe in God... In fact, specifically to a Christian audience, he would write, if you believe in God, he, said, he would say, isn't this true? That we have oftentimes exchanged the glory. We have oftentimes exchanged the ultimate God for what the ultimate God has created. In, in, in fact, here, here's what we know about idols. And, and here's where I think the biggest understanding of idol begins to come into play. Is that when we think about idols, we often have a negative connotation of what those are. My experience is the opposite. That for many of us, the things that we can idolize in our lives are good things. In fact, great things. But the problem is, is when those good things and those great things become ultimate things. In other words, perhaps, you know, an idol is a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or perhaps a lack thereof. In this good thing, this wonderful thing of a husband, this wonderful thing of a wife can easily become an ultimate thing. Family, kids can become the ultimate thing. Career, work can become, and, and all of those things are good. He says, but, but we've exchanged those. And, and, and here's, here again, why, why this is important, because for us, the understanding is, is not that we shouldn't have those good things, it's that we shouldn't have those good things ultimately become ultimate things. And he drills down a little bit farther as he continues on. 
He says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, this is interesting. And this is, this is why I love Paul, because he's so intuitive. He is, I mean, you talk about emotional IQ. My man was off the charts. Because here's what he would say. Perhaps the worst thing that can happen to you is you get exactly what you want. Perhaps the worst thing that can happen to you as it relates to following God is you get exactly what you want. Exactly that thing that your heart is longing for and desiring for. I mean, you want that, you want that, you want that, you want that person, you want that significant other, you want that job, you want that career, you want the promotion, and you go for it and you go for it and you go for it and you long for it and you long for it and you long for it. And then perhaps you get it. And here's what Paul would say, that, that one of the most dangerous things that can happen is that God, in seeing that we have an idol in our life, that we have glorified this place, of, the place of central prioritization, is to actually give that to us. Because when we have that thing, here's what we ultimately find out, that that will never satisfy us and it will ultimately destroy us. Now, isn't that true? I mean, you think about the thing that you, if you could have anything in this world, if you could have it, isn't it true that that thing would easily become the primary competitor of your heart with God? Paul is saying, come on. They've exchanged. We're going to come back to that. They've exchanged these lesser things. And that from time to time, you know, God just said, fine, you want it? Have it. Have it. In fact, let's be honest. That's why some of us are here this morning. Because we wanted it, and we wanted it, and we wanted it, and we wanted it, and we finally got it, and we had it. And at first, it was so great, and it was so wonderful, and at first, it was so fulfilling. And then you realized... This ain't that great. I mean, it's good, but it ain't that great. And as time went on, perhaps you realize that it's ultimately not fulfilling. I mean, you take any, again, I'm just going to harp on relationships for a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about that next week, but you talk about any relationship. No relationship is going to fulfill you. Are you kidding me? Like, I love my wife. I think she's the best wife out of all you wives that are around here, okay? Just to be point blank. But let me, let me tell you, let me, let me just be honest. Let me be honest. She is wonderful. She's extraordinary. She is smart. She is beautiful. She is all of those things at the same time. Love you, hon. At the same time, if my happiness, if my goodness, if I exalt her to a place of deity, you know what? Eventually we disagree. Eventually there's friction. Eventually there's something that if I place her in that primary place, you know what? Eventually. That begins to be unsatisfying. And you know what happens when things are unsatisfying? I look for more to satisfy. And no wonder marriages are wrecked all the time. No wonder infidelity happens all the time. Because if I look to you to fulfill me, you will never ultimately fulfill me and I will look for something else. It is the natural human appetite. And so here's what Paul says, you know, kind of moving on from that. He says, at the core of it, here's the biggest problem. There is a value miscalculation. If, if you study business, you know that in everything, there's an opportunity cost. 
There's the opportunity, there's the cost that it has. And perhaps for many of us, we have misweighed this opportunity cost as it relates to this. And so this is what he says in the very next verse. He says, because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And here was the lie, that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. By the way, who is blessed forever. Amen. He says, you worship and you serve the creature rather than the creator. And as cool as the creature is, the creature ain't the creator. The creature is simply a byproduct of the mind, of the will, of the power of the creator. Now, let me give you a, a really kind of silly example of this, something that happened in our church not too long ago. For many of you know, um, our church, we've been doing some design stuff, some interesting things, and I think it's always cool and, we, you know, hip, relevant, whatever. We serve coffee. We get it. Um, <clears throat> but we've been working a lot in our kids' space because especially this, this kid's uh, room right here, um, <clears throat> we didn't want parents to have to check in their, their little ones as they're in the hustle and bustle of the, of the primary hall. Way. Which, by the way, let me pause and say this. After this service, man, we love you. We want you to stay around and talk. Could you talk outside? Because there's people coming and going in this hallway. Okay, commercial over. Um, <clears throat> but here's, here's, here's what we know is that we wanted to create more space for parents to, to drop their kids off in a place that's not crazy and chaotic. But at the same time, this room right here, oh, out left, um, is a place where we, throughout the week, that's where our staff meets. It's where most, most of our staff works. Um, that's kind of our office space. That is a place where our HOPE program meets. That's where a place where uh, groups meet, classrooms meet. So it's got to be a multi-use facility. Um, but what we also knew is that there has to be great signage. Now, you might not have thought about this because you perhaps don't think about church dynamics, but the bigger anything gets, the more confusing everything gets, okay? So you have to make things really easy and obvious. One of the things that we're going to work on at some point is our bathroom signs because some of you guys got to pee so bad, you have no clue where the bathroom is. We apologize, okay? Because when there's hundreds and hundreds of people walking to and fro, then it's, it's difficult to miss those signs. And the last thing that we want is a parent with kids running, screaming, going crazy, not knowing where the kids' ministry is. So we were going to have a sign because we moved doors. And... <clears throat> Here's how things, by the way, also go at our church. Um, I might have an idea for something. In mine's like a C-level idea because I was at best a C student through my entire educational career. And somebody else takes that idea and like, dude, that's cute. Let me tell you what we could actually do. So I'm sitting there saying, no, we need to have a sign that should stick out from the wall. Wow, you know, you're such a great leader. That's just inspiring. And so Christian has this idea. It's a great idea. And he, by the way, everybody give for Christian. He's done an incredible job. He does almost all of the design at our church. And by almost all the design, I think he does all of it. I just don't want to give him that much credit. You know, he's got an ego. <clears throat> so I was like, you know, let's, let's, let's create this kid sign. And, and, and he said, well, here's what we should do. Kind of like an old school movie marquee sign. We should have it where it sticks out from the wall and it has an air that kind of like points over and it says kids. And you know, we can have like lights and like flashes and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, dude, that sounds awesome. Internally, I'm thinking, dude, that sounds expensive. Okay. <clears throat> So, yeah, man, that, that's awesome, and, and kind of we don't talk about it for a little bit. And um, Next thing you know, uh, you know, a, a few weeks later, there's this incredible 
kids sign up. And I'm by walking, like, oh, have you seen this sign? And so, you know, sometimes as a leader, too, by the way, you got to be excited about things that aren't really that exciting. It's like, wow, a sign, you know? But I was genuinely impressed by this. I was like, dude, that thing is freaking sweet, man. Like, I'm, I'm walking up, and I'm seeing it, and it's got the whole thing, and it's got the arrow, and, and they get the lights out, and they um, <clears throat> start to, like, hit the button. And, you know, the, the different little things light up and has, you know, you can chase lights like a Christmas tree. You can blink. You can just stay on. You can do a bunch of different things. And you might not get geeked out about signs like that, but I'm like, yes, I'm hyped about this sign. Now, naturally, my next thought, right, is, so how much does this sign cost? (laughs) Because what I know is that everything has a cost, and so how much did this sign cost? And here's what was crazy. He said, oh, I made it. I'm like, what? Like, this sign just went from, like, cool to real cool. Christian just went from, like, mediocre. Okay, whatever, you know. <clears throat> we're taking applications, you know, to, to <laughs> like, holy cow, man, this thing is. And so I started asking, like, how did you make it? How did you make it? So he starts telling me about how he cut it out and the little letters. Like, do you even cut out the letters? Yeah, cut out the letters, you know. And, and how, you know, he, he got the LED strips and glued the things and did the stuff. And how he got the wood and kind of bent the wood around the thing to make it have an outline thing. And I'm just thinking, like, dude, this thing is freaking Awesome, but, but, but here's, here's what was also true about it. As cool as the sign was, what I was impressed by was Christian with his creativity, with his ability to see, conceptualize, and make something that wasn't, and, and you guys know this in the church world, that wasn't awful, okay? Sometimes I'm telling you in the church world, we can see things that are terrible and be like, oh, he loves Jesus. Like, <laughs> just so proud. It's like, they can't sing. Get them off stage. You know, are you kidding me? <laughs> Don't try out for our worship team. Just saying. Just kidding. You should. Especially if you're a drummer. Side note. Okay. But, 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 but. not that I don't like our drummer, by the way. <laughs> We're going to talk about this in staff meeting. Um, no, Jordan's fantastic. In fact, I kid you not, every time I'm up here at the front, I'm like, I have to close my eyes. And if I don't, I'm just like focused on him. Like, dun, dun, dun. anyway. Where was I? Sermon. Okay, here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. As cool as what he created was, and it was very cool, I was impressed by Christian. Not what Christian created. What he created was simply a sign, was simply a a visible, tangible, I can see the creativity, the ingenuity, and the ability of the creator. And, And here's what we do. Oftentimes, we take these wonderful things, these good things, these incredible things, and instead of giving glory and thanks to the creator of those things, those things become the prioritization and are that which we worship, and we unknowingly create idols. In fact, here's what I would say, at least this is true in my life. My heart is just kind of an idol factory, I mean, I fall in love with the tangible. I fall in love with that which I can see. I fall in love with all these things. And it's just so easy because you, you don't see it. There's no metric to measure it. But you know it when it happens. And we don't talk about it very often because sometimes it can be kind of a difficult and a painful subject. But the truth is, we oftentimes have this creation And instead of seeing the creation as a reflection of the almighty creator, we simply fall in love with the creation to the dismissal of the creator. Now, now here's the problem. 
Which is, so what do you do with that? Because in the Bible, one of the distinct advantages that I think they had is when they talked about idols, they oftentimes were talking about other gods, other legitimate, well, not legitimate, but legitimate, like they, they had idols, they had these statues, they had these things that they would create as a monument to this God, and they would just get rid of it. <laughs> but here's the problem. For most of our idols, you can't get rid of it, or at least you shouldn't get rid of it. You know, you, you got a husband or you got a wife again. <clears throat> well, hon, you're an idol. <clears throat> Time to go. You got kids, they become this idol, they become the, you know, everything revolves around, you know, them. Well, kids, you know, Pastor Ben said, so, you know, I love you, but we'll see, you know. (laughs) Got a job and well, you know, that's an idol in my life. I'm never going to work again. Like you could, but again, you shouldn't. And so what do we do with that? What do you do with that? In fact, the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three things that are, that are at kind of the more of the root, not the, not the, you know, sometimes it's like we talk about this, oh, we want to talk about social media as an idol. Yeah, whatever. But, but we're going to talk about the root causes of these things. Specifically, we're going to talk about the idols that relationships create. We're going to talk about the idols that control creates. And we're going to talk about the idols that comparison creates. Relationships, control, and comparison Relationships, control, and comparison. There are so many idols that we create because of those root sources. But most of them are going to be good things. In fact, I would say the better the thing is, the more likely it is to become an idol. But the more difficult it is to get rid of. And and here's here's why verse 23 is so important. In fact, let's put it back up on the screen. And we're going to talk to the very, very first couple of words in this. It says, and they exchange the glory of the immortal God. Now, here's why this is important. To regain the authority and the glory of God, we have to reverse engineer that which already happened, which means if we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for these, you know, kind of created things, then what we have to do is we have to re-put God in his right place. And here's why that's significant. Because most of us were taught in the church world, if you got an idol, get rid of it. If you got an idol, get rid of it, but you can't get rid of it. In fact, here's what we've all found, is that if you ever try to simply... If you ever try to simply remove an idol, it'll always grow back. Idols aren't supposed to be removed. They're supposed to be replaced. You can't and you shouldn't replace the love for your spouse, but the love for your spouse should simply be secondary to the love of God. It is not to be removed. It is to be surpassed. It is not to be taken away and simply left a void. It's that we replace it. We exchange back and say, God, you have the place of prominence and authority. You have the place of all awe. You have the place of all wonder in my life. The really uh, important part about this whole thing is, is so with that thought process that we can't replace or we can't uh, remove, we have to replace. We have to put in the right position God. It's just simply the understanding that if God's ever going to become the the, the first place, the primary place, he has got to be the person and the thing which we purpose our entire day around. He has got to be the purpose and the thing that we purpose our entire day around. And and, and here's the non-Christian version of what that means. If you were driving to 
Disney World. So William, our worship leader, is in Disney World right now. Okay, pray for him because he's got two small kids and they're going to Disney World. But, but if you're going to Disney World, if you got a flat tire, you wouldn't say, oh, trip's over. You know, we're not going. Things got a little too crazy. Things got a little complex. No, that's the, that, that's the goal. That's the destination. And so what would it look like if God was the goal or if God was the destination of your day? Here's what I get. Here's what I guess. We would spend time with God, not in the margin, but as the priority. Our day would revolve around, I need to spend time in prayer. I need to spend time in his word. I need to spend time with God today. In fact, I think almost all of this can basically be boiled down to if we were to purpose our day around God, very few idols would actually take place. If we were to purpose our day every single day around God, if you were to spend time in his word and in prayer, if you're a little bit like Christian advanced, you know, you can do fasting, which is fantastic. You can do so, you know, you know, long terms of prayer, long, long times of prayer, wonderful, you know, but if we were to spend time with God, in fact, here, here's what I would also say. If you walked in here and you're hearing this and you're thinking, go, 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 this doesn't, you know, man, there are not idols in my life. Like Jesus is the only thing. Here's what I'd probably say about you. You probably spend time with God daily, at least regularly. If you were to look at your life, Christians, that you've been following Jesus for a while, the times where you were clear and that God was the most important, the most vital, the most critical thing, there's a good chance you spent time with God daily. And the times that, you, that, that he wasn't, chances are you didn't. Because what gets our time gets our attention. It's just simple. And, and so here's, here's the challenge. Here's the question. Here's the thought. Here's the take home. Would you spend time every day this week Simply spending time with God in prayer. Maybe it's two minutes. You spend time with God and you say, God, I'm here. <laughs> Maybe you're brand new to prayer and you say, God, I'm here <laughs> and this is awkward. And I don't know what to pray and I think you can hear me. And I don't really know how all this works, but God Ben told me to pray. So I'm praying. Amen. Okay. If that's your entire prayer, I'm going to say, that's okay. That, that is a step. Take a step. If you, if you want to, for the first time, begin to read God's word on your own, let me tell you what I wouldn't suggest. I probably wouldn't suggest starting in Genesis and working your way through the whole thing. You're going to get about three books deep, and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, what is happening right now? The reason I say this is because all of it revolves around Jesus. Jesus starts in the book of Matthew. Start there. If that's even too difficult for you, and this isn't like a promotion, download our app. But if you do download our app, DCC Tally, we have, an, we have a devotion that you can start to work through. It's about 20, 30 days long that you can just a little bit of time, a little bit of time, a little bit of time every day. And here's, if we all did that, here's what I promise would happen. It wouldn't happen overnight, but there would be a subtle shift in an exchange that begins to happen. That as we spend time with God, what gets our time, gets our attention, what gets our attention is the priority of our life. All of a sudden, God would move from the periphery to central. We would have taken what we exchanged and put it back in its right place. Here's my hope. That if you're in here and you're investigating Christianity... You're, just, you're kind of brand new to Jesus and religion and church. and You're just here because somebody invited you. And I'm so glad that you're here. Here's my hope. In fact, be, beyond my hope, here's what I would guess about you, though I don't know you. There's a good chance 
the reason Christianity has been so difficult for you is not because of Christianity, but because you had the front row to seat to other Christians who said one thing, who believed one thing, Yet you had a front row seat to they said Jesus is number one, God is ultimate, God is the preeminent thing in my life, and you looked at their life and you said, you're a liar. And you didn't say that to their face because you're, you're kind. We appreciate that. But isn't that true? That perhaps the biggest reason and your obstacle to faith, your hurdle to faith, is something that you've seen other Christians who declared Jesus as ultimate but lived as if everything else was. I hope I hope you meet some Christians who actually live what they believe, who don't just declare Jesus as the preeminent author, creator of our faith, of everything we are, that he's not just simply a declared priority, but you can look at their life and say, man, this person, like I don't believe what they believe. I don't know if I ever will, but I have no doubt in my mind whether they do or not because they live like they do. Wouldn't that be different? Wouldn't that be a different version of faith, of Christianity, than perhaps what you have experienced your entire life? If you're a Christian, come on. Don't you want that to describe you? And it doesn't happen. It just simply doesn't happen. By me making a declaration, I'm not having idols anymore because I simply cannot remove idols. They've got to be replaced and they are replaced as I daily fall in love with the creator, not the created. So maybe for you, your first step is to pray. Maybe for you, your first step is to read. Maybe for for you, your first step is to start doing one of those devotionals. But how different would it be if we all did this, my guess is we would look a lot more like Jesus and people who don't know Jesus, people who are wrestling with faith, the existence of God, though they might never actually believe the same thing would have no question as to whether we actually believe it or not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you please help us to not fall into the temptation or the trap that we so subtly and easily fall into, which is that we exchange your glory, we exchange your ultimate for what we see as good. God, the reflection of the, of, of the goodness, the greatness of the creator we have found in the creation, we have a tendency to worship that, and we are so sorry that we have exchanged that. We repent from that. God, help us to fall in love with you. Though these things that we've fallen in love with are wonderful, they are good, you have called them to. We have taken this good and created ultimate. And we repent from that. Help us instead, Jesus, to purpose our day around you, spending time with you, growing in our relationship with you. That's central, that's core. And as we do, would you help us, give us the power by the strength of your Holy Spirit to place again, declare again that, Jesus, you are the center, are the only thing, person, being, God, to be praised. You are the only thing, the only being, the only deity that's worth placing at the center of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.